Hello, everyone. This is Portfolio Room podcast. My name is Glad Ismailov. I'm private equity CFO specialist in Privatel, and this is Portfolio Room podcast. Today on the show, we were, we have Gisbert Yezotin, CFO of Function PLC, excellent, and he will tell about how to transition the role of the CFO in private equity company from a listed company. Gisbert, nice to see you today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Glab, and uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. A bit about myself, after a 25 years uh, career in Unilever, where I worked in Brazil and in Europe and ended as a CFO for Europe, I transitioned to private equity-backed business called Lease Plan Car Leasing, um, uh, where I worked for a while. And after that, I worked as a public CFO for Inchcape, uh, a global automotive distributor uh, based in, in London. So I've worked in both a public and a private equity-backed space. I'm a business-driven CFO. I uh, have a lot of experience with transformation. I love to work in teams and I really like to develop talent. That's a bit about me. I see it. Yeah, that's that's the reason why I want to speak with you today. Could you please ex- tell, so you had experience working in a listed company and also private equity-backed uh, company. What are the main differences? I think when when you in private equity, there is always a transformation plan. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense because private equity uh, buy a business with strategic intent. And then it needs management uh, to develop a plan, you know, to, to, to get there. So, so th- there is always a transformation plan. Secondly, I think private equity think in quarters, which I think is super helpful. Uh, there is always a timeline. Uh, quarters help you to measure progress. Uh, it helps you also to keep the pace. And contrary to what many people think, quarters are not uh, distracting you from the longer term. In fact, in a public company, sometimes, uh, you know, you have to please your investors with a certain quarter. You do not have that in, in private equity. You can just think about the longer term. You can just think about getting there faster. So that that, that, that quarter, quarter thinking is, is something that, that I found quite uh, characteristic. And thirdly, unsurprisingly, there's a lot of focus on cash. I mean, cash uh, clearly has not been that expensive uh, recently. So maybe in public companies generally, the focus uh, uh, in business has not been too much on cash, but today it's clear that with the cost coming back, um, you know, it's, it's absolutely critical. And uh, but it is is much deeper ingrained in the thinking of, uh, of of private equity companies for obvious reasons. And, and as we all know, cash cash doesn't lie, right? So uh, I, I think that that is super powerful. And then then fourth, I think the participation of management in success, and and that can be much broader than than in a public company, is is equally. Um, Helpful. I mean, you can have a, a simple and powerful concept like thinking in multiples, so that people at every level in the organization understand how do you contribute to to the bigger success um, of the company. Mm-hmm. But if you take it from the other end, you know, having just worked three and a half years in a, in a in a public company after my private equity experience, you can see how much time is spent on governance and on complex stakeholder relationships. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I mean, clearly, uh, boards very much take the, the 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 governance lens. There's lots of things you do, like meeting uh, investors every quarter, that that just take a lot of time that you could also spend on 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 getting your your business better. Now, I think it's useful experience to have because at some point you will have to exit your private equity, um, uh, you know, journey into public or in peer to peer or whatever. But it is, it is a key difference that a lot of time is, is, is spent on, you could argue, less productive stuff. Mm. Lastly, and then I'll, I'll get back to you. I, I think 
you know, there is just more co-creation with the private equity um, fund behind you. Uh, if, you, if you take from a public space, it's normally management that develops a strategy and the board that needs to approve the strategy. Uh, the roles in private equity uh, um, between management and private equity firm are, of course, more blurred. And I think there is there is more co-creation, which I think is, is helpful. Uh, normally, they know also a lot about industry. Of course, there is a usual tension, you know, and you need to balance it in, 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 in the right way. But I think it's a key difference. I see, I see. And I, and I guess because as well of the, as you mentioned, management incentive, it's more like uh, motivational to work in private equity-backed company. And also, as, as you mentioned correctly, that because you don't have to do a roadshow every quarter, every month, it's kind of, uh, you save lots of time, essentially. Like you can get, you know, roll your sleeves up and get to the bottom of the problem and improve the company. And this is also us to a second question. Do you think, like, how often do you think a private equity house should interact with, um, with the portfolio company? Is it what's better, like very often or actually better to give space to the, portfolio company and let's say like don't meet like every every week but rather like every month you know with the with the management with the c-level yeah no i i think there's a bit of a sequence here uh i think it is it's it's very important that there is alignment on the strategy in the long-term plan mm -hmm. between the, the portfolio company and the private equity so you you, can, you you actually should spend a lot of time making sure that that you are that you are aligned on that And then you can define a set of parameters and give space to management to operate. So then I'm more in your camp of, let's say, once a month or perhaps some, 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 some weekly calls on specific subjects, but you, you have to give space to management. And I, I think what also helps, so the clarity on the longer term helps, but what also clearly helps is the trust. And, and, and one of the things is bad news needs to travel fast, right? Mm -hmm. And I think if private equity owners see that you also give them the bad news, um, It's, it's just one way of you know building building the trust. So I think trust will also help to to give more space to to, to management. Mm -hmm. But you have to give management time uh, the the space to operate. I mean, in a way, you can argue. I should be careful here, but private equity are great investors, yeah, of course, but not always great operators. Yep, that, that's that's what I also you know find uh, from my experience when uh, talking with people like you that uh, it's either they give too much space and you can't really you know like have basically to knock the door and wait for a long time to speak with them or they're too much there it's like they take too much space because they you know essentially sea level can it, it's good to hear the opinion from the private equity house but if they're too operation it also kind of you know distracts like the the growth so should, there should be like a sort of a middle uh, you know balance yeah but i think Gleb, as a as a cfo you you, you are in a key key position to define to define the pace of the company in terms of management information, in terms of setting up your, your, your control cycle, if you like. And mm -hmm. I think you, I, I've not found issues doing that, to be frank, but you, mm -hmm. you should clearly define it. Cool. Makes sense, makes sense. And also, you know, when the private equity house uh, acquires the company in the investment cycle, what, are, what do you think are the three most important things to start in the first 100 days once you're being owned by a private equity house? Yeah, no, it's it's a great question, but it comes back to a little bit what I said. Mm -hmm. I think clarity on the business vision, right, um, and a clear operational plan how to get there with milestones is 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 number one. Mm -hmm. Now the question is, how do you get there? So you have to get go around the business, I think, and speak to a lot of people. And one of my mantras is respect the past, be brutal about the present, and then be bloody ambitious about the future. Mm -hmm. 
and most people agree on on number two and number three, but they they do not spend, in my view, sometimes um, sufficient time to understand why the company is where it is. It's not like previous management was all were always doing the wrong things. It can just be that the circumstances were different, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that, and it's also more positive to the to the to the ones that are in the company that you just don't come in and say, I think we should go, you know. We should go this way, so that respecting the past is important, but equally be super brutal about what you find and ambitious about the future. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, I think, is assessing the quality of talent. Determine, you know, who is on the bus, who is off the bus. Right? Are there capability gaps, critical roles, uh, management roles? You know, how are they filled? And do that really early on. That talent assessment—it's so so important for, for the later success. Thirdly, the financial plan. I don't think we need to talk about that too much more and, 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 and the cash flows and so on. And then I think also in the first 100 days, because there's a lot of nervousness in the organization, yep. it is important to get that clarity and then to get the organization behind that plan and get them, frankly, enthusiastic about that plan, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, 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 that needs to happen, maybe not particularly in 100 days, but, but, but relatively quickly. And lastly, take pain early. First losses are best losses, so do difficult stuff up front, but at the same time balance that with some things that you know will be a success. So ensure early success as well. Mm. Yep, I, I see. And you, I, you mentioned the, the correct point, but that you know, for the CFO it's as well, important to take the lead and explain how to get from A to B. Because the thing is, which I find as well that quite often is that. Because the CFO leads the finance function, essentially, that sometimes there is a lack of understanding between the team. Like that's where it brings us to another topic, you know, the connection, because, uh, you know, the many CFOs just say, look, this is where we need to get, but no one explains how to get there. And as you said, it's important you know, to get the steps. And even if we do, if you go through mistakes, quickly learn and get to the, uh, to the, uh, to the aim, essentially. And that's what brings us, I want to say about talent issues, because what challenges are you seeing? You know, uh, you mentioned briefly, but what are challenges you're seeing? And you know, what impact it it has done in your operations? Because essentially, we can see that you know, in European private equity market, it's more and more difficult to find you know a good talent, especially in finance operations. Yeah, yeah. No, before I go there, just to say, I mean, in terms of, I'm almost taking it for granted, but but I, I'm as a CFO, you are at the center of this, right? And you may think that I'm talking almost like a CEO, or I could say the same as the CEO saying, but I, I think it's it is important that a CEO and a CFO are joined at the hip. Mm-hmm. I think it's at the it, it is at the heart of the success of any private equity um, uh, transformation. Clearly, that the team works, but. In particular, the relationship between the CFO and the, and the CEO is, is, is super important. And I think it it's helps clearly if you are a business-driven CFO and have that true interest in the business because that gets you into that how question club that you mm-hmm. that you talked about. But but back to talent, I, I think talent is, is a huge issue. You know, talent is scarce, as you say. Mm-hmm. It it is you will need to attract it. Mm-hmm. And and you will need to coach and develop people. Mm-hmm. And, and so your visible leadership in that regard and the interest that you take in people is super important. And this, so on an operational thing, it's also, you know, okay, raise the floor and raise the ceiling. Mm-hmm. So don't tolerate certain performance. People will see that and say, okay, mm-hmm. uh, and you get sometimes people already leaving on that basis. But more positively, if you raise the ceiling and promote people that are doing really well, 
that will inspire others and, and will think, okay, you know, the, 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 there is a career for me here. And, and, and it sends a very clear message. So, and, and it is just a big part of your job. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we've spoken about it before, but I have clearly also learned, and it's not talk about yourself so much, but, you know, the, the, you need speed also in the recruitment process, right? It, it's just, if you have a very lengthy recruitment process, it's just not helpful. Yeah. So you, you, you need to, to speed up recruitment and maybe take a bit more risk with people. But that, that, is, that is also what people, what, what people like. So I think it is a huge topic. As I said, it's the number two thing that you have to do, in my view, in, in, in any in private equity transformation. And, but it's also down to you. They, they, they come to work for you ultimately. Right? Yep. So if they can identify with, 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 with the leaders, that, that, that is super attractive. You need to build a little bit of a reputation uh, uh, as you go. But no, no, no other golden bullets, unfortunately, to, to solve it. I understand you, especially when you mentioned about you know the bond and it's the match and the lengthy recruiting process. It's really important you know, to structure the talent process and to find the right match. And also, just a bit expand on the topic, which I think you know will be very very beneficial for our audience as well about remote and hybrid working because we're speaking about talent right now. Uh, now it seems like you know COVID times are, be- are past in the past, and everyone seems to go back to the office. How do you think you know, especially for the finance function, how important is it to be together in one office, or like it's fine to have a balance between hybrid and yeah, being in the office and remote? Yeah, look, I, I it's it's interesting how, how perspectives have changed. So I believe in a mix. Mm-hmm. I definitely believe in being in the office mm-hmm. because the, the productivity. The, the learning from each other, the teaming, the, the, the famous uh, coffee machine conversation, etc. You cannot plan those, right? There is just yep. no way around it. And then there is the magical human interaction. I mean, we're talking now over a screen. It's nice, Glad, but it's much nicer to be in the same room together. Yep. Something is happening there. And what I find interesting is that we start now from, it's all remote working. Let's see how, how often I come into the office. Whilst uh, three years ago, it was completely all the way around. Mm. Can perhaps I work one day from home? So my mantra would be to start all from that other side to sort of say, you know, but have a real balance to have to have a, a a nucleus in the office and also clearly some flexibility in mm-hmm. in working. And I, I think what is really good is that that technology allows you to do that. And I, I think you can find a much better balance between office and and home than I had in my first 25 years uh, of, of working. So I'm jealous of the new generation that can have a, 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 healthier, a healthier balance. But at the same time, particularly for younger people, they learn so much from seeing other people working, right, and interacting with them uh, rather than having a meeting or a bloody team score or, or, or this or that or the other. So, I, yeah, that, that is how I, I think about it. And that is, frankly, when I speak to people, I think there is a much more nuanced picture now mm-hmm. in, in relation to this. I agree with you in that sense as well, that, you know, external like attributes play a big part. You know, when I as well just, you know, started my career, it was really important to see how other people work so that you can learn quicker. And also, yeah, I think the balance uh, plays a key part as well, because sometimes, you know, when you work all the time in the office, sometimes it's nice to have a, let's say, Friday or Thursday, one day during the week to just work at home so you can see the contrast, you know, what's, uh, the, to appreciate the office uh, culture. Cool. And also, uh, this, the question, you know, want as well to ask with your experience as CFO, what do you think that, you know, if the CFO 
works in a 20 million EBITDA company and he has done beer for years. Do you think this, that this CFO will have the same effect in a 300 million EBITDA company? Yeah, look, it's a real big step change from 20 million to 300 million. Yep. So I think it helps when you have seen bigger mm-hmm. and when you have seen different and when you have, you know, different experiences. Mm-hmm. So I, I think when you want, if, you, if you're certain that you want to make a transformation for 20 to 300, I think there is a case to be made to put in a more experienced manager that has seen bigger and has seen different that can then help guide the organization through that process, right? There's many films you've seen, you, you know what's happening, you're not surprised. Clearly, you need to, uh, if you take from the other end, if, if you're coming from bigger, and I can testify to that, coming from Unilever, even into Lease Plan, was, was, was a bit smaller and in shape, similar size, although still quite sizable companies. You need to be willing to roll up your sleeves, right? You cannot rely on a huge mothership with all those bloody departments, etc. So there is not everyone from a big company is able to lead a small company, but I think it does help if you know where you're going and if you, you know what it takes to, to lead a bigger company. So it's, it's, I think the key differences are down to leadership. They're also down to, in many cases, and it's an awful saying, but strategic thinking, right? Can you mm-hmm. really, you could be, can be a very good operator. Uh, management is about zooming in and zooming out, in my view. And the zooming in part will be perfect with someone uh, of, of, of who's run that company for a long time, 20, 20, 30 million. But the zooming out part, sort of the strategic thinking, how you get to you know a step change, I, I think mm-hmm. is uh, so, sometimes helpful if 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 you can accelerate that by having a good mix, by the way, of of uh, of, of people who work in bigger companies and in smaller companies. I see, um, I see. So okay, mixing. So like you think that should be yeah, in a structured way, like you know, slowly. Like for example, if you work in twenty million, it's probably better to work than like in a thirty, and then slightly, slightly increase. That's that's probably the key in that sense to gradually. Look, there are, there are of course different industries. Uh, Glad, I mean, yeah. there are industries that, that grow like hell, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where this is a slightly different debate, but but, but even then, then then I think um, so. The, the growth mindset of some of the smaller companies is absolutely fantastic, and you should keep it. But but the, the, there are growing pains, if you like. Mm-hmm. That that need to be helped. Uh, that is very true in the finance space. In many cases, with you know, boring stuff like controls and managed information and, you know, and the, whole, the whole shebang that you that you're forecasting, but whatever, IT, security, yeah. you know, there's, there's all sort of hygiene that needs to be there. But equally, leadership development. How do you recruit for much bigger companies? How do you mm. just manage much bigger companies? If you have never seen that, I think it's, it's not to say you can't do it, but I think you, you can help the process by having a nice mix of people who have seen it and then at the same time keep the people who know all about the business and have the passion. Yep, makes makes sense. And uh, just finally wanted you know to ask your opinion in terms of you know, I th- I think you know all of us see the Financial Times news that there is economic recession com- coming and it's already there with inf- uh, with increasing inflation rates in uh, European uh, market. In the times of economic recession, how would you prepare the company and how do you usually prepare the company for an exit in such conditions? I think that the question will be very relevant to our audience. In yeah, system. now look, I mean, timing of an exit is is famously always difficult. Yep. And I can testify to that when I worked for Leaseplan on the IPO 
and in the end we withdrew the, the, the IPO seven days ahead of the planned IPO date. Quite a traumatic experience, but it was just very adverse market conditions in back in 2018. You would perhaps laugh about it today, but that's how we felt about it in 2018. So timing is, is always complicated uh, of any exit. At the same time, it's my experience that investors will always ask the question about how did this company Mm-hmm. you know, fare through an economic recession. How did it do through an economic recession? They will always look at that resilience. So I think, you know, looking back how your portfolio company performed during previous, uh, you know, economic recessions, I think is super helpful to sort of calm down the mind mm-hmm. of your investors to say, well, this is what we did there and then. And this is how we, let's say, uh, came through it, survived it, etc., uh, etc. Et and at the same time, if you present your short-term outlook, mm. you just need to be showing to people that you take account of the circumstances, that you're prudent managers. Uh, I mean, valuations are not based on the first 12 months. They are based on where they think a company can get to. Yep. So as long as you consider, say, look, it's now going to be difficult. You need to be clear, by the way, why you choose to go. But there could be all sorts of reasons. But if you have a prudent plan with buffers that you can actually beat the plan, right? Yep. I think people appreciate that. Investors see right through all those pie-in-the-sky plans. But at the same time, you, you should keep on telling them how how beautiful it will be when, when let's say, the economy uh, com, com, comes back a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it is that balance that, that, that works. But clearly, it's more difficult, generally speaking, in, in a recession environment when the minds of people is risk-off versus, uh, you know, a, a booming Although we all know that after booming periods, there is always going a more difficult period. That, yep. that's, I think uh, that's a bit uh, the, the art of doing it, uh, Gab. Actually, yeah, I think I think at that time, you know, specifically that uh, now lots of restructuring experiences needed. You know, when we spoke with you first time conversation, we had like, you know, that uh, and especially those people who've been through hard times and low times. I think those are the those are the type of people will succeed, will prosper in this time, because essentially, I'm sure that this recession will end, you know, and that it'll be a, a booming. Yeah, Gleb, I mean, you're completely right. I, I think yeah. the question I would ask any manager these days, you know, how did you manage through through COVID, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> good question. Yeah. If, 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 you, if, you, if you take my, my Inkscape period, you know, 24 out of the 32 countries at some point were just closed right mm. um and, and and it was a relatively high fixed cost business so you you decide immediately relatively quickly to take out a substantial part of cost yeah uh you know do, do a few things that perhaps you you would have done anyway but you now almost use that as an excuse now that's i think is a very dramatic and i hope you'll never in the near future see such a dramatic distortion to businesses but i think it's a very good exam question to say what did you do uh, through covid and, and many companies actually use it to reinvent themselves. And others did some milder mild restructuring and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the world has been tested recently quite quite dramatically. Yep. You, you, anyway, you, just a side comment. I, I agree with you. You mentioned it correctly that, you know, it's a good exam question for uh, finance function, especially like, okay, I know you've been through good times, you work, but tell me how you coped with the COVID times. I think that's a very good question. Yes, but I knew uh, that this discussion would field and for, with forward thinking and wisdom and great stories, and it totally blown my expectations. I have to say, I really wanted to thank you for stopping by in our show today in Portfolio Room Podcast. I think our audience will get a lot from this tremendous education as, I, as did I, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Again. Thank you, Glad. Sure. Thank you, everyone.